Welcome to the Nehemiah Project podcast. This is your host, Mike Linstead. I'm the president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. I'm here with the director of education and counseling, Chad Wiles, and the director of our intake department, Laura Coley. And today we are going to be getting to know Laura a little bit and then discussing all all things marriage. So, uh, Laura, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Good, good. So, Laura, um, we would love to hear your testimony. Uh, I haven't really heard it in too much detail, um, and I know that um, the people that are listening to this probably haven't heard it. So why don't you just tell us how you got to Mandeville, uh, how you came to know the Lord, and uh, anything else that you want to tell us in between those two points. Okay, sounds good. So I am what's called a PK, and uh, that's a pastor's kid for those of you who might not know. But I like to say that I've been in church since conception and have been raised in the church. I always had an understanding of who God was, that he was good, uh, that he was our authority, um, and that we needed him. Uh, I knew when I was about six or seven years old of my sin and my need for a savior and um, was baptized by my dad at that time. But I think what's common with a lot of people who grow up in the faith was common for me, which was that I hadn't really... Uh, experienced the real consequences of sin. And so I didn't fully understand what it meant to honor God with my life and for him to be the Lord of my life. Um, I kind of had an elementary understanding, I think, of um, truth because at that stage in life, truth is really concrete, right? So black and white, right and wrong. And then as I moved into my teenage years and things became a little bit more gray, uh, there were some things that I started to have conflict about. And so Growing up in the church and having my dad be a pastor, uh, I was kind of in a fishbowl. Other people were watching me, had certain expectations of me. So I got really good at compartmentalizing. I got really good at leading worship on Sunday and um, leading the Bible study and being in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And then going to school and having another persona and other things that Mm -hmm. weren't God-honoring were a part of my life. And started as a teenager, definitely deriving a lot of my worth and identity from relationships with guys. That was a, um, a huge factor, I think, that just influenced uh, my relationship with Christ because I didn't understand what it meant for my worth and my value to really come from my relationship with him. And so I looked for it in validation in other ways. Um, and yet was always outwardly living for Christ and knew the truth. Mm-hmm. Um So as I moved into early adulthood, um, had a season, continued season of searching and kind of landed in my early 20s on um, this is the hopelessness that comes from living for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Emptiness, brokenness, Mm -hmm. um, devastation, loneliness, and um, the truth became true for me, Mm. I think, for the first time. And so um, after college, I began praying about what God's uh, call was for my life Mm. and um, was in a place of total surrender and um, desiring to live for him and everything and dedicate my life to him. And so I had the opportunity to go overseas and do some mission work for a while. And I served in Bangkok, Thailand for about six months, working with um, women who were involved in the sex industry there. Mm. And... The biggest thing that I learned while I was there was I have nothing to offer. Um, So just realizing that even in serving God at that time, it had more to kind of do with self-exploration and a desire to feel like I had something good to offer people Mm -hmm. and less to do with the hope of glorifying God in everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I came back from Thailand, realized that I wasn't even equipped to offer just the hope of the gospel. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I decided to go to seminary and I studied counseling while I was there. So my goal at the time was I wanted to end up back overseas doing counseling with women who were in uh, that type of a background. I saw this just vacuum of love. We kind of have this perception in the U.S. that no one goes into sex work willingly, right? But Mm -hmm. then in these other cultures, it's so acceptable. It's such a Mm -hmm. part of life. Um, And they don't have an example of what sacrificial love looks like because it's inherited generationally. Mm. Um, Their parents might have been in the industry and then they started working at eight or nine years old and it just continues. Mm. And so I really just had a passion for 
um, helping women in particular understand um, who God is because when we understand who God is, then we can understand who we are and mm-hmm. where our value intrinsically comes from and what love is, right? Um, that was something that I identified with because I previously had been in so many relationships where I misunderstood how to experience love. And so while I was in seminary, I met my then husband while I was living in New Orleans. And uh, towards the end of my time studying counseling, um, there's, it's, you know, complicated story, but essentially was just in a, in a difficult and lonely season of my life. I kind of thought seminary was going to be like Christian summer camp and it wasn't. <laughs> um, Wait, Christian seminary is not Christian summer no, camp. No, newsflash, yeah. it's not. Um, <laughs> That's a good distinction. So if you're signing up for summer yes. camp. <laughs> no, um, but just, you know, all my friends were married. I was, I was in this position of serving all the time. I was just very empty, very um, lonely. Uh, got a lot of messages from the church about my worth as it related to marriage. I was 26 years old. Um, met a guy at church and thought, oh, this is finally it for me, right? right. I was looking for a lot of, still mm-hmm. had this same pattern in my heart, even though I had grown, that um, was this idol that I had maybe fed a little less, but mm-hmm. still existed in my heart that mm-hmm. I was finally going to be secure and happy once I was married. Mm-hmm. And um, that also, similar to seminary, was mm-hmm. a false belief. <laughs> um, so... We ended up getting pregnant and deciding to get married, went through a whole reconciliatory process with the seminary and with our church at the time. And um, there were some red flags there, but I believed that that ultimately if we kept God at the center of our relationship and pursued um, mutual repentance and growth in Christ, that that there would be a God-glorifying relationship there. I thought we wanted the same things, essentially. Um, over the course of our uh, five-year marriage, unfortunately came to understand that we didn't have the same views. Um, it became clear about a year into our marriage that um, that God was the king of my life, but mm-hmm. unfortunately wasn't um, the king of my husband's life. And so mm-hmm. as we walked through hardships together, um, having a sick child and things of that nature, uh, the truth came out. And Unfortunately, he chose to walk away from our faith and walk away from our marriage and chose another relationship. And mm-hmm. in the midst of that pain, um, God led me to my faith family in mm-hmm. Mandeville. And um, so I had been living in New Orleans for a while, moved to the North Shore just kind of for the reason a lot of people do of wanting a more peaceful environment to raise your mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. And um, then my family fell apart and... Um, I had become a part of the field church and begun to build relationships there and was just growing so much by being immersed in the truth and um, eventually became a part of staff at the field church, mm-hmm. um, which was such an awesome experience. Um, working in ministry is not an easy job. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is that another thing that's clear? This should be in called ministry is myths debunked. <laughs> yeah, the myths of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm appreciative that you called it an awesome experience. You entered in at a time when we God was pruning us a lot as a church. Uh, so you definitely uh, got refined by fire <laughs> along the way. Yeah, it was not a season without its challenges, but um, God used it to work out in me so many of those things that I just was still clinging to in terms of truth. Um, and I was so grateful for my pastors because... Yeah. I was working so closely with them. Mm-hmm. And so there was kind of constant accountability for like, hey, your worth doesn't come from having it all together. Um, whether that be in your personal life or at work, um, mm-hmm. you're ultimately your work, your, I'm sorry, your worth comes um, from the Lord right. and him alone. And so um, it was such a proving ground um, in the midst of the refining fire mm-hmm. that I'm mm-hmm. really grateful for. And um the storms of life don't necessarily cease, but the mm-hmm. beauty of walking with Christ is the peace that comes in the midst of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we sit now. Um, throughout the course of my um, marriage, I had had to basically step away from counseling because of um, ch- the cost of childcare. And it's just, it's not, it's mm-hmm. not a field that pays particularly well, usually. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of working in the corporate world during all that before God allowed me to step into ministry. But my heart has always been, or counseling because of the ways that God used it um, in my own life, but also just because I see it as as applied 
physiology of like working out belief yeah. because of the way that it practically affects our lives. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's how I ended up here at, at the Nehemiah Project is mm -hmm. after working on staff with Pastor Chad and us being able to have lots of conversations about our philosophical approaches to counseling and <laughs> me learning more about biblical counseling. Um, God has allowed me to get back in the counseling room and um, man, it's such a gift to be able to to provide for your family, but also in a way that's just walking in exactly what God's equipped you to do. So I'm super mm. thankful to be mm. where I'm at. That's awesome. And thank you so much just for being like, yeah. you know, just transparent and, and open. And um, you said was something that <clears throat> I think every Christian or anyone seeking truth comes to understand at some point. And you said that the more I began to understand who God was, the more I began to understand myself. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us maybe some of the, the breakthrough aha moments right. or moments of clarity or whatever you want to call them, but maybe like a turning point in your right. understanding of God and, and maybe some of the circumstances surrounding that. Um, obviously, right. if it's, you know, something that you don't want to share, you know, maybe some generalizations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're essentially laying out the idea of identity mm -hmm. that so right. many people right. will look for. Right. Yeah, and it is. It's like a deep soul-searching question, so I'll try to have some brevity and... Yeah, Makes sense. Say it in two sentences or less, please. <laughs> yes, I'll keep it to under thirty seconds. Um, no, but I thanks for that question because mm -hmm. it is something that I kind of glazed over. But it was it was a huge recognition mm -hmm. point and moment in my life. And I think you know, growing up, my parents often said to me, "Laura, you're not the center of the universe." And I would roll my eyes and be like, "Okay, we all know that, you know." <laughs> right. But the truth is that most of us functionally operate that way. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. our lives are about making ourselves happy. Mm -hmm finding our contentment, right? Following our heart, being who we are. And that the end mm. of all of that is super empty. Right. Um, when right. we come to this place of like, okay, what's going to satisfy me? What do I believe is I'm created for, right? Mm -hmm. It has this very like self-fulfillment core that then when you do it, and that's kind of part of what I was describing of when I was in Thailand was this like, I'm going to give life away and serve mm -hmm. other people. But even at that, even at its core, that was more about me feeling as though my life mattered and I was important and I had something to offer and I, 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 it wasn't mm -hmm. about glorifying God and keeping God in his rightful place. Um, so I had a point when I was about 21 years old, I was actually in Spain at the time and I was doing everything that I wanted to do. Mm. I was traveling and I was this, mm. like worldly person, right? Like a I, global citizen. Yes, I yeah. was just I was woke. You could speak for whatever Spanish. that meant woke. in like twenty ten, I guess yeah. it was. <laughs> um, and I had this awesome boyfriend, and I had cute boots, and I was like, man, I should just be like so happy right now. And I was utterly miserable. Mm -hmm. I felt like every relationship mm -hmm. that I had was just empty. I couldn't sleep at night. I was just super unhappy. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I'll never forget. I was in the middle of, there's like a, every Spanish town has a Plaza Mayor. So it's like a little, like a town square and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was raining that day. And I just remember I was sitting in the middle of that plaza and like looking at the sky and had heard my mother's voice in my head going, you're not the center of the universe. Wow. <laughs> and you were 26 at this point? No, I was, I was, tw I think I was 21. 21. Okay, so okay. yeah. So it was about 10 years ago. And it was just so funny because God used that mm -hmm. for me to go like, oh my goodness, I'm just like, this is the fulfillment of chasing yourself mm -hmm. and it's just mm -hmm. empty. And I'm looking at myself. When was the last mm -hmm. time that I looked at God? And, um, I love that story. Sorry to interrupt, but no, just so people catch this. You weren't in utter despair and devastation. You actually got everything you wanted. Yeah. And then you felt like this, which I think uh, is perplexing for those that are chasing those dreams or think that that's going to make you happy. But I think so many listening who have achieved the American dream can so relate to what you're saying right now because if they're honest with themselves, they don't feel fulfilled or happy apart from God either. Mm -hmm. So I think that's good that you bring that up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I also just – I was at a place – like I think many other Christians are of just, mm -hmm. you go through all the emotions and you're, then you start self-evaluating like, well, I'm going to church. I did my devotion. Mm -hmm. I right. think, you know, I went through the motions, right? The, the Christian checklist. Exactly. So why do I still feel this way? And again, it was because the aim was self-fulfillment, mm -hmm. not the glorification of our creator mm -hmm. and trying to make myself feel better um, and feel fulfilled. And mm -hmm. so I think that for me was the distinction 
is that when I take my eyes off of God and I acknowledge that he's sovereign, that he's in control, um, especially it was neat being in, I was on the other side of the world at the time. And so like Mm -hmm. having this realization that all these people were around me in this Spanish city and that like he was the same God over all of them as Mm -hmm. well and that he knew them and that their Mm -hmm. identity, like it was much more profound, I think for me, because I was in this place where I was separated from everything that was familiar for me. And yet God was the same. Mm -hmm. And um, I had experienced, you know, I think intimacy with him before in these like bursts of of Mm -hmm. times. Um, But yeah. So anyway, I think that, does that answer your question? Yeah. You know, it's interesting how, you know, we, we can grow up and I think the passage of time so almost has like this nulling effect on our, our spiritual awareness at times. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's this, at least I, I could say for myself, like the passing of time does not equal spiritual growth, right? right. It's not equal like spiritual mm-hmm. maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you're older physically doesn't right. mean that you're more mature spiritually. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see, to hear people's, you know, kind of mm-hmm. experiences and, and, uh, and the lessons that they've learned, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we've all had them, you know, if, if we're actually, you know, mm-hmm. searching for mm-hmm. the Lord and, um, you know, what's important to him. And um, it's just interesting to hear your story about that. Yeah. I want to shift into how God views marriage, because that's what the main topic of discussion is today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always really important to, you know, understand what the Lord uh, thinks about, you know, whatever right. topic it is. And, and at the Nehemiah Project, obviously... We're a faith-based organization, and the Bible, uh, the truth, mm-hmm. is our bedrock. It is our foundation, and mm-hmm. what it says is what we will do, and what it says is what we will support, Right, and we'll trust God um, to handle the rest. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Pastor Chad, if you could, just mm-hmm. kind of give us a summary of God's view on marriage, um, uh, the believer's relationship to Christ mm-hmm. in the light of marriage, um, not necessarily marriage between a man and a woman, but the, the believer's union mm-hmm. to God himself, to Christ. Right. And then maybe discuss a little bit like about the husband's and wives' biblical roles mm-hmm. within that marriage relationship. Well, I think Paul says it best in Ephesians 5. Um, the roles are there too, but the part about what marriage is supposed to be about, uh, he talks about in verse 30, um, because we are members of his body, so it starts there, we as Christians... When we put our faith in Christ, we, we enter into this covenant relationship with God, this covenant, this promise that God has made to us through his son Jesus that he would forgive us of our sins and that we would be uh, have eternal life with him because of what Christ has done, not what, what we have done because of God's good. God's goodness, his glory, you know, he did what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross. His payment on the cross, the blood he spilled, was the payment for the wrath that our sin deserves. Mm-hmm. And any, anyone who, who puts their faith in Christ, who makes Christ Lord, lays their life down, takes up their cross, and follows him, as the Bible would say, right. uh, will be saved. That's a covenant promise. And that's important for us to distinct between covenant and contract. Mm-hmm. Wait, covenant, what are the differences there? A covenant promise is one where someone promises and will fulfill that promise despite your... Um, your ability to fulfill your end of the promise. Hmm. I mean, it's a promise one way, like towards us. Hmm. A contract is, if you, then I. Okay. If you don't, okay. then I won't. Conditional uh. versus unconditional. That's right. Okay. So covenant is a unconditional promise that God makes to us. And that's what marriage is supposed to be, right? And so I started with verse 30. says, because we are members of, one, of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Mm. Right? So he's making that parallel between our relationship in marriage to the relationship of Christ and the church, that covenant promise when husband and wife come together, coming before God, making a promise before God right. that they will love one another in the same way that God has loved us mm. in, in the gospel. And so it's a covenant relationship based upon the gospel so in layman's terms, two sinful people who are not perfect, right. who are both relying upon God for their own salvation, who are loving one another like Christ and being sanctified through their marriage to honor God. And the marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the gospel to the mm-hmm. world. And that's what we see originally in Genesis when God puts it together. Genesis chapter 1, 
he says, um, verse, starting verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God creates man and woman in his image to display his image throughout the world, right? And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's not just talking about children. The whole purpose of marriage was the spreading of God's image, right? Because at that point, sin hadn't entered in, so it was already assumed as you have children, they're going to have this relationship with me as well, and the, right. w- the world is going to be filled with my image because man was created in my image. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. wasn't sin. And so the same thing in our marriages today, as we are, are transformed by the gospel, come into a relationship with Christ ourselves, and we marry someone else, who's relying upon God as well, and we enter into a covenant marriage before the Lord, our marriage, as we are working out our sin and growing more and more like Christ, our marriage reflects the glory of God to the world. Yeah. And then we raise up our children, and we teach our children the ways of God, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so the covenant between God and man is the purpose of covenant marriage as right. well. One thing that I draw out a lot, if you can imagine it, I draw a little triangle put God in it, represent the Trinity. Uh-huh. And then I put each person's name in premarital counseling underneath it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and I draw another triangle from their name up to the triangle. Yeah, And then I show in between, as you individually grow closer to the Lord, mm-hmm. you're, you grow closer together as well. And that's the Man. picture of marriage. That is one thing, just a little you know, background about me and my wife. Like when I when we first met each other, you know, mm-hmm. I was in a program that was a drug, you know, rehab program, and I wasn't allowed to talk to her. And uh, if you haven't heard that story, you can go on our our Nehemiah Project YouTube, and it's, it's all there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that triangle that you just described, mm-hmm. that I had heard that before, and you know, at one point in the, in the program, I had to like just be obedient to God and like not talk to my then girlfriend, mm-hmm. and that was something that gave me so much hope. Right, because I'm like God is faithful, and if I believe that He's brought this woman into my life mm-hmm. for the purposes of marriage, then all I have to do is a trust Him mm-hmm. and b love Him by doing what He asks me to do. Right, and uh, I'm married now, so it seemed to have worked. <laughs> <laughs> but That's right. Chad, just circle back to the husband and wives' mm-hmm. biblical, you know, responsibilities to one another and to God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to close my Bible here. I'm going to get it back. <laughs> While you're turning back, can I just <laughs> yeah. add Jump something in, about please. this? Yeah, because um, as we were preparing for this podcast and I was praying through what is God's view of marriage, mm-hmm. um, he just put in my heart the um, the importance that we as the church and also at the Nehemiah Project don't hold marriage as like the ultimate good for the Christian person, mm-hmm. right? That right. experiencing a covenant relationship with God individually is right. so important. And obviously this podcast is about marriage, but... Scripture actually encourages the opposite if it's possible for you, right? Mm, right it says yeah. that, yeah, it says that for those who are able to do so without falling into sin, they should remain single because right, it frees right. them up to serve God. Um, and I just think so easily marriage itself can mm. be turned into this idol that is viewed within the church as like the ultimate goal for personal mm-hmm. sanctification and right. satisfaction. Mm. And um, right. that in terms of God's view of marriage, he does view it as a vehicle and a vessel mm-hmm. for reflecting the gospel to the world, mm-hmm. but that individuals who aren't married are not unable to do so. You're not lesser right. than if right. you're not married. Exactly. Um, That's good. And, and I'm honestly, glad you brought that up. It, marriages go a lot better when it's two people who already find their identity in Christ and don't need one another. Yeah. That is the marriages that work out best. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Absolutely. Yeah. But essentially what the Bible teaches is complementarianism. I just say that between, to, between, husband, and between husband and wife. What that means is, because I want to explain that before I read this, because so many people, this is a, like trigger warnings for them. So let me explain right. this before I read yeah. it. Put it in the description. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> well, because um, my, a lot of people just misunderstand or, or what that even means. But okay. what that means is both both husband, both man, male and female are equal in value to the Lord. They're not mm. different in value but they differ in role and responsibility. Both roles equally important. They're just different roles and responsibilities, Yeah. right? And so what Paul says when he lays out this in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So... That's usually like a hot button 
issue, and many people have abused this. That's why I started with absolutely. Yeah, that's you know, if you think this means lording over or the wife is lesser than, you're wrong. That's not what that means. Right. Likely, likewise, it says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, have Him cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word." so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it just as Christ does the church. And then that's when we get to because we are members of one body. Yeah. So it's very important. Um, when it talks about the husband as the head or leadership, that literally means a servant leadership, mm. Christ, like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Man, he put himself up on a cross. <laughs> to the point of death, yes. right? And then it goes on to talk about as your own body, like we nourish our bodies, we mm-hmm. cherish our own bodies. Right. So that our approach towards the leadership of our wives is one of servant leadership and cherishing wow. and of honor, right? Yeah. It's, it, we don't abuse that leadership. Right. And by the way, we submit to Christ in doing so. Mm-hmm. So we're... Is not this dictatorship where we're, we're the authority. We submit to Christ as we lead our wives, right? Yeah. So everyone in the marriage is submitting, right. <laughs> right? Yes. And we do this as unto God. We, we, we love our wives like Christ of the church because we're worshiping God through doing so because it's, it's wow. our God-given role. It's not even something that many of us even want, mm-hmm. right? If you're a husband, you're the leader of your home whether you want to be or not. Mm-hmm. You step up and be that because God said you are. And likewise, wives, as unto the Lord in worship, submit to their husbands and are the helper. Now, that submission doesn't mean that you're never allowed to talk or never allowed to help make decisions. Right. It's not us in Brazilian jiu-jitsu right. grapple hold or something exactly. like that. <laughs> it's actually the role of helper. When you look at Genesis, when the wife was made, what was the purpose? Because he needed a helper. Right. Right. And so what that means is, uh, just to lay that out in a very practical terms, I'll take my, my wife and myself. It doesn't mean I make every decision all by myself without her input. Actually, I value her input. She's much smarter than I am on most things. Um, but the responsibility of the decision rests on my shoulders. Right, right. right. That's what I remember being taught when I was growing up about mm-hmm. this whole dynamic because I remember, um, I I know it might be shocking for you guys, but I have a bit of a stronger personality. And so when I was growing up, that sometimes... <laughs> lent itself to conflict with my dad and feeling like, you know, he needed to listen more and make mm-hmm. decisions. And my mom would always right. comfort me with like, but just remember, if he makes the wrong one, it's his fault. <laughs> and so I've kind right. of always, um, it's kind mm-hmm. of helped me to, to view that, I think, in a better way of like, yeah. actually, this is freeing that mm-hmm. um, I'm protected by mm-hmm. from responsibility, mm-hmm. honestly. And, and a lot of this so. is true because at the end of the day, whenever I make that decision, that's I stand before the Lord as a shepherd of my home. Right. But I value her input so much, and we pray together, we talk it out together. And, and there's times when I disagree and biblically or whatever, and, and my wife, she's not a meek person in terms of, like, lack of opinions, but she's very great at submission in the way of, like, she'll tell you, hey, I, I got some thoughts, I'll, I'll give them, but if you feel like God's saying we're going to do something, then then that's what we're doing. I right. fully submit to that. So that's wonderful. And so it doesn't mean you got to be quiet. It doesn't and right. and like I said, as a husband, you should you should value that input. Like great leaders are ones who put great people around them to help make good decisions. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. Um, but and there is such value in the wife um, supporting that leadership. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like uh, we've made many decisions as a family that God has told us to do, like uh, leave everything, go plant a church, uh, start an EMI project. Right. A lot of risks that, you know, my wife has been fully supportive to do. I never could have done them without her support to mm-hmm. do so because, I mean, it was risky, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we left everything. And so um, her support was so valuable in encouraging my leadership. And I think when there's selfishness there on both sides, the lording over and misunderstanding your role as leader stifles and hinders and hurts the wife in the home as well as when wives don't support and get out of the way and leave that vacuum for the husband to step up as a leader mm-hmm. is also equally stifling. Right. Yeah. I think it's important to just to recognize that 
when it comes to scripture and applying it to our lives, it's often um, offensive mm-hmm. to us. And this whole concept of submission being a negative thing mm-hmm. is a cultural one mm-hmm. um, because we see all over scripture a call to submit to Christ. Mm-hmm. And we miss too that the verse right before this section says submitting to one another right. <laughs> out of reverence yeah. for Christ, that's right. right? That's, that's right. what the church is supposed to look like. Right. But what does it even mean to submit to Christ? Because that's what this whole thing is, right? Is it's about modeling the gospel. And so what does mm-hmm. it mean that I submit to Christ? It means that I trust him. Mm-hmm. I trust that mm-hmm. he's for my good. Mm-hmm. Even when I don't understand, even mm-hmm. when this feels counter to what I want and to everything right. in me, I'm able to say, I'm going to step out of way and Mm. stop fighting because I trust that you're for my good. That's not the same thing as unwavering support or unquestioning obedience um, because there's also a distinction there as we're we're submitting as to the Lord. So obviously, you know, if your your husband is asking you to sin, God's not saying that you should do that because submission is elevated above righteousness. Mm -hmm. Um, However... I think it's important for us as women not to just like instantly rear up when we hear the that the other S word of submit, right? Because <laughs> right, it's right, right. actually um, about just not being selfish and self-seeking, which is the call mm-hmm. of the Christian life in the first place. Yeah. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and it just kind of, it, it exemplifies how, you know, almost like sticky and difficult marriage really is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think growing up, Everyone, well, not everyone, I won't say that, but a lot of people, yeah. they really like desire to be married, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Without understanding the cost, like right. how difficult it really oh, yeah. is. Now, sure, there's pros and cons to being single. There's pros mm-hmm. and cons to being married, both biblically and even secularly, mm-hmm. you know? But with how difficult marriage truly is, mm-hmm. you know, life is hard, but marriage is hard, right? But it's extremely rewarding. But with how difficult it is, how valuable is premarital mm-hmm. counseling? Yeah. And 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 can you just underscore some of the some of the value mm-hmm. there and why it's important? Yeah, um, I got some stats here. One of the uh, resources that we use is called Catching Foxes. Um, I love this one. It's written by a biblical counselor, and the whole purpose of biblical counseling, just to give you our mindset when going into it before I hit these stats, is I want to help um, det- help dig out and determine what the heart motivations are for the couple wanting to be married first and foremost and make sure that that is biblical, but then also give them the tools and their tool belt to approach marriage in a biblical way. Um, and I, I had the privilege of even doing your and Mandy's. Uh, oh, that was, I know, uh, that was premarital. great. And, uh, Super good. Yeah, and so it was It was cool to, you know, see like some things that probably are coming into play now we talked about in premarital that when you first get married, the honeymoon stage, you're like, I don't need all that. Yeah. Until there's nothing they can do that will upset you, <laughs> right? You know what I mean. But yeah. then you know, so six months down the road, while. it's like, wow, they're still doing that, <laughs> right? You know what I mean. Although my wife is is great, you yeah, know, a lot absolutely. of the things that we talked about in our premarital counseling mm-hmm. with you, Chad, like that, those sessions really equipped both me and her mm-hmm. to do what the Bible says, and and it's all it, it bears such good fruit. You know, yeah, it's so absolutely. rewarding. And so um, here's the reality of the world that we live in today. It comes from this book, Catching Foxes. I love he did a great job on research here. But according to the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, released in 2012, the United States averaged around 2.2 million marriages a year between 2002 and 2008. During that same time period, there were approximately 860,000 divorces on average per year. Almost every American, 90% to be exact, will be married at least one time. And a great many will be divorced. And according to the Barna Group in 2008, 33% of adults over the age of 18 have gone through at least one divorce. Almost 40% of all American children will grow up in a home without both biological parents present. And we live in a world that devalues marriage. To cast it aside, apparently, isn't that big of a deal, you know, in our world today. Uh, A lot of it, the big three that tends to cause this usually is sex, money, and um, communication, usually conflict issues and unresolved conflict. Um, and then, so as I said, some of the things that we want to dig out early on, if we understand that Christ is supposed to be preeminent, meaning before all things in our marriage, uh-huh. what are the motivations for a couple when they come in? Like, why do you want to get married? Like, that's one of the first things we want to dig out and figure out, right? Where do you mm-hmm. stand with God? What's your, what is your understanding of what marriage is supposed to be? And why do you want to get married? Uh, a lot of the things that ha- our society has went to now um, that we've seen is uh, one of the reasons why people want to get married is social helpfulness. Like, I just don't want to be alone. You know, I, I want a partner in life, right? That sounds good. 
but your marriage can't be built on that desire because what happens? You. Right, we're we're now in that contract marriage. Right, I'll, I'll stay married as long as this is socially helpful. As long as you make me feel better. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Right, and then we see the hedonistic device of marriage, and when it comes to pleasure, you know, sex, mm-hmm. um, companionship, entertainment, feeling good about yourself, all those things. Status. Status, but once again, what happens when? You're tired of the sex that's in your marriage. Mm-hmm. What happens when it's not enough? What happens when, right, mm-hmm. the status doesn't matter anymore? What happens when, you know, it falls apart? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are a couple of the the big uh, main reasons for marriage in our society, all selfish reasons, self-focused mm-hmm. reasons. And so we want to make sure early on is, okay, do you understand why marriage exists in the first place and what the purpose of a covenant love looks like and and then what's your relationship with christ even look like individually and then learn the purpose of marriage and those roles and all that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. prepare you for marriage and so that's our goal in premarital counseling and what we do now has there ever been a time where either one of you guys have been counseling somebody please don't mention any names but (laughs) where where you were as a counselor you were you were like hearing you know their responses and you're like clearly these people, like, I would not advise them, mm-hmm. even though you guys don't advise people. Like, yeah. if you were going to advise them, you would mm-hmm. not advise them to get married at this point. Has mm-hmm. there been, yeah. you know, situations like that? And then, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you, as a counselor, mm-hmm. try to guide that process, you know, for their for their benefit? Mm-hmm. Sure. I would say yeah. early on in my time counseling, when I was working with um, more couples, now Chad does most of our marriage counseling at the Nehemiah Project. Um, but I did, I had a few premarital couples and, um I, it was kind of a joke with my supervisor, but honestly, the heart behind it was true that I would count it a success anytime that a couple that I was doing premarital with broke up because hmm. to me, it was so much more fruitful to bring those things to the surface and see the relationship end at that st- that stage mm-hmm. rather than encourage them to um, pursue something that was ultimately probably not going to be mm-hmm. successful be so or God honoring. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. I have for sure. Same reasons. I mean, um, I won't advise someone to get married if uh, one if if their reasonings aren't good or biblical, or if they're unequally yoked, as the Bible says. Right. When the Bible talks about that, it, it doesn't mean anything other than one person knows the Lord, loves the Lord, and the other one doesn't. Right. When you're unequally yoked spiritually, um, that's always going to end poorly. Um, at best, you learn to cope and you live a life where the one spouse drags down the other one's spirituality and you just you just settle in that way. Mm-hmm. That's the best case scenario. Well, I guess best case is, uh, you know, if miraculously the one finally does come to know the Lord. And, Which and that does grow. happen. That does happen. But, but it's not normative. It's not normative and that shouldn't be your intention. Right. You know, like, well, I think over time they'll change. I'm going to get married to save them. Right. right. Not smart. Yeah, Missionary and can, marriage is not No, yeah. I can go. attest to that personally just because <laughs> of my story. And I think... I kind of I wish Chad had been able to do our premarital counseling right. because I met my spouse mm-hmm. at church. He knew all the right things to say. Mm-hmm. He was actually re- he was leading a Bible study on the Book of Romans when we started dating. Um, and when we initially made the decision to get married, you know, we knelt in my living room together and prayed through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did premarital counseling. Um, and yet there were there were some red flags in my heart, and I think I convinced myself. The truth is that the fruit wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he knew all the right things to say, I wanted to be married, and so I convinced myself that he was a believer, mm-hmm. and um, and he did. I mean, he knew all the right things to say. He was being discipled. He was going to church, and there was all these things that he was doing, right, emphasis on doing, right. but the, the fruit wasn't there in his heart because right. I could see in his character, right, that there was... There were anger issues. There was selfishness. There was these things that I was convicted about mm-hmm. when they surfaced in my heart yeah. that the Holy Spirit would move and say, hey, this is sin. I didn't mm-hmm. see that happening in his life. And I wish that mm-hmm. we had been in a situation where he had maybe been asked some hard questions by somebody that wasn't blinded by love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's the approach that I take. You know, um, I don't just immediately be like, well, I don't think you're a good fit. I ask a lot of questions and dig out you know, we always say accusations harden hearts, but questions prick the soul. You know, if you ask good questions, they will reveal to themselves what their motivations are. Yeah. And then you can easily say like, well, that's not biblical or good. Right. And then upon that, like, I don't recommend at least yeah. at this point, you know. But here's some of the objectives that we have in the preparation process. Um, 
that I think is helpful in this discussion as well. And mm-hmm. and if if these object, objectives aren't being met or aren't possible because uh, one or both spouses aren't believers, I can't really move forward and say I think you should be married in the way that God designs it, right? Mm-hmm. But we're move, we're trying to help them one move from a man centered focus to a God centered, right? We're trying to lay the groundwork for Christ's exaltation and not marriage exaltation, mm-hmm. right? Like, even even two people who love each other and have this big view of, like, this happily ever after marriage, that's not reality of marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not how marriage truly is. It's two sinful people living through their mess together and, and loving each other through it, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're cultivating a spirit dependence, not a self-dependence, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're helping them to have a humble reverence for the Lord um, and and without instilling paralyzing fears, right? Like we want to have a humble reverence for God. You know, when it says fear of God, it doesn't mean like I'm paralyzed. It's it's uh, this respect, this humble reverence mm-hmm. that God is right and I'm not. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Um, we want to help them foster a, sel- a healthy self-awareness uh, rather than a blind ignorance. Yeah. You know, like. Hey, like this is going to be a problem in your marriage, mm-hmm. you know. Like, like you know, and that's actually been so helpful in my in my marriage too. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, the more you get to understand God, the more you get to understand yourself, right. and it's made me more self aware of yeah. my tendencies. Right. That, you know, that that can be I don't know what the right word is, but mm-hmm. that can be sort of abrasive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, where where I'm really getting into like myself right. and and I'm just charging ahead with my agenda. <laughs> right. And I was like, hold on, wait, I have a, a wife here right. who has got equal say, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what's going on. I know that the leadership is is mine and, right. and ultimately the decision comes down to, or it's going to be on my head. Right. But man, like you can't just charge forward, you know? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Josh Miller, mm-hmm. he had to turn for that kind of behavior. It was the, the Navy SEAL Christian. Right. <laughs> right that's right. And so, yeah, that's and that'd be healthy. Like, hey, self-awareness, like, that's, you know, and why do we do that? And help help you uncover these sinful patterns yeah. that you have. And so that, okay, it's healthy self-awareness, right? We want to we wanna exhort an atmosphere of grace, not an atmosphere of law, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not, so I'm not. Like, hold on a second. Yeah. Like, none of us are able to be perfect. You have flaws. You have flaws. So how do we, yes, work on our sin but extend grace as your spouse is working on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? If you don't have that, it's going to be a hard road because mm-hmm. if your standard is, well, if you don't fix that, then you don't love me, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> right. Um, we're going to help them gain commitment to a lifestyle of reconciliation rather than a fix-it mentality. Mm-hmm. So teaching them what that looks like to truly repent, like go to your spouse and actually ask for forgiveness and repent and then and the other spouse forgiving, making that promise of forgiveness versus, well, what what are the things we're going to do to fix this? And this should never happen again. Like, it may happen again, right? You know, in right. a lot of in a lot of ways. And so, we want to emphasize a trajectory, like we talked about, towards Christ, mm-hmm. not an arrival mentality. Mm-hmm. You're never going to arrive. Yeah. Over time, you're going to develop more and more in the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. But until you die and go to heaven, you're going to have areas of sin to work on. Yeah, <laughs> that absolutely. will happen. So these are just the these are the goals that we're trying to have within That's so premarital good. counseling. That's so good. And so the other side of the coin of this is divorce. Mm. Um, divorce. The statistics that you read earlier were mm. were you know eye opening. In, in 2018 to 2019, I did the math. You know, the divorce rate seemed to be seem to have been around 40 percent based mm-hmm. on what you had said mm-hmm. yeah um, i wouldn't be surprised to see that that's actually higher well actually now. i'll throw this in here yeah. the research i've done lately i don't have those numbers with me um but i don't know why i didn't bring them but the divorce rate isn't climbing but it's not because it's not getting worse less people are getting married yeah there's a yeah. lot more people who are cohabitating and not marrying so mm-hmm. the divorce rate hasn't really changed that much right but when you look at that in context of what is happening that's just because a lot less people are getting married in the right. first place. Right, and it's 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 easy to understand, and that's a topic for another podcast, yeah, absolutely, yeah. the contractual view of marriage. Right. Um, and so, but what what is the Nehemiah Project's approach mm-hmm. to counseling through a potential divorce situation? Because those are extremely mm-hmm. emotional, emotionally yeah. charged situations. Yeah. So what what is our approach to uh, that situation? Those are very difficult situations. And Laura, you can jump in. We were just talking about some of this stuff yesterday. What I will say is God's ultimate desire, God's best, is that divorce would never happen. However, 
He's even made concessions in his own word for because we're so sinful as a society that there are certain situations where um, Paul has even written about where it's okay to let an unbelieving spouse go if they leave or um, adultery and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so our our first approach uh, when there's a, a situation of abuse, adultery, infidelity, things of that nature is separation with the with the purpose and hope of reconciliation first. Mm-hmm. Will there be a time when divorce will happen and may happen and, and may even be right to happen? Yes, but it's our last resort. Our her first goal is separation with the hopes of repentance and reconciliation. Um, but, Laura, you listened to a seminar this week and yeah. brought some good distinctions. Just let the listeners know what we're not saying. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I think similarly, I just, I appreciate and agree with everything that you said. And similarly to what I said at the beginning, that mm-hmm. oftentimes we as a church tend to elevate marriage as like the ultimate good. We also tend to elevate divorce as the ultimate evil. And um, right. I think it is important, like you said, there are even the Lord makes concessions in the word of God for divorce mm-hmm. and for situations where it is um, appropriate. It's not ever something that we would just recommend for convenience sake, right? right? It's a last resort. Um, But I think to draw some distinctions about what Mm -hmm. we're not saying is we're not saying if you're, if you are um, in a difficult marriage, then you should get divorced. If you are disappointed Mm -hmm. with your spouse, then you should get divorced. Define those two real quick. Yeah. So I was able to do um, some training recently. All of this comes from Leslie Vernick. Um, She is a wonderful woman of God, and um, she is a biblical counselor, and she draws some really helpful distinctions for the church um, as far as marriage. So she puts marriages that are struggling, right, the marriages who are going to come to counseling, into uh, three different categories. So they're difficult, disappointing, or destructive. So a difficult marriage is a marriage that has stressors, right? So life might be difficult. There might be financial struggles. There might be illness. There might be something that is putting the pressure on the marriage and that um, there may be some immaturity Mm -hmm. or there might be a lack of being centered on the truth. And so people are having sinful reactions. Ultimately, a difficult marriage exists when life is just hard, right? And they can cause you to mature when they are centered on the truth and that both parties are open to allowing that difficulty to refine them and to bring them closer to the Lord primarily mm-hmm. and to one another. Mm-hmm. So those marriages are not a situation where we would say like, you guys might just should get divorced, right? Yeah, <laughs> We're not like, yeah, if, if, if you walk in saying, mm-hmm. I want to get divorced and then we're able to work with you and assess like, yeah. hey, this is actually a difficult marriage, not a destructive one, then we're going to advise you that scripturally, right, the requirements for divorce haven't been met. And so in those situations, choosing divorce would be selfishness and sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're yeah. upfront about that. Yeah, we're going to help you work through repentance and reconciliation and and grow because um, people get in, in ruts, if you will, or like stuck and they don't know how to work through it together. And that's our, that's right. our goal. But <clears throat> if you're listening to this and you're like, man, we've, we've just had a really hard six months of fighting and big, like you're not qualified for divorce. You need you need to work on what it looks like to to love one another and repent well, probably, mm-hmm. and we'll help you with that. Mm-hmm. But don't expect us to say, yeah, you all need to get a divorce. It's not going to happen. Right, mm-hmm. right. So the next category is a disappointing marriage. So um, this one is, like you were saying, Mike, is when you first get married, you're thinking, like, this person could never possibly upset me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then after the honeymoon phase is over, you start to realize, like, oh, they're actually not perfect. Mm-hmm. And... That kind of sounds trite right now, but sometimes it's a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it could be the couple who waited to get married to have sex and now they're two years into it and they haven't figured it out yet and they're Mm -hmm. just miserable and it's disappointing, right? Um, It could be that your partner has some type of habit that just annoys you. Um, (laughs) Like they're playing too much video games and they're not paying attention to me. Maybe they gain some weight and you're like, I didn't didn't like, I don't think this is cool. You know, like, yeah, maybe you've had some kids and your body looks different. Your priorities look different. Your day looks different. And so now you're disappointed. Um, So those types of issues aren't necessarily sin issues. Um, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's another type of issue where you need to come in and we need to work on your communication skills and we need to work through repentance. Or your response to the issue might be sinful. Absolutely. 
Um, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. here again that you that's should just a, throw in the towel. It's not a place of divorce now. Right. So the third category is where what Chad was talking about mm-hmm. as far as separation and divorce comes into the picture. So um, Leslie Burnett calls it a destructive marriage. And essentially what it is in, in layman's terms, what, what we would call it is an emotionally abusive or immensely abusive or relationship physically. or physically abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. She does make a good distinction that physical abuse alone is usually not enough of a control tool um, or a power tool for the person who's using it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Usually physical has emotional and absolutely. everything else involved with it. Right, right. Um, and so this relationship is one that mm-hmm. is violating a person's God-given dignity and freedom to be who God has created mm-hmm. them to be, mm-hmm. um, which is different. And um, I think, Chad, you made a good and point. And in a place of danger. Too. Right. True. Right. True. But I think even in that, oftentimes mm-hmm. in the church, we get so black and white about this. And it's like, well, if you're not physically in danger, um, you know, then then you're okay. Right. But mm-hmm. God has a ton of instruction in scripture about um, mm-hmm. what it looks like to care for one another and how we should use our tongue. And right. he clearly values the dignity of life and mm-hmm. the, the the sanity and sanctity in addition mm-hmm. to the safety of a person. Right. Um, but those relationships are typically all about power mm-hmm. or control. And so yeah. typically one partner, and it, we do typically see this more in husbands, mm-hmm. but it can go both ways. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. in our um, culture now, it is it is becoming more of a, you see it on both sides. Yeah, you know? right. Absolutely. But typically there's an idol of power there. And Mm -hmm. so this other person has just become a means by which to serve the idol of power in that person's Mm -hmm. life. So systematically over time, that person's self-worth is broken down. um, And the complete opposite we talked about of biblical headship and biblical submission and that mutual trust and mutual dependence that doesn't exist anymore. There's a gross imbalance of power and control um, and it's not mm-hmm. um, embodying what what a biblical marriage would look like mm-hmm, yeah. at all. Wow. And in those situations, what we would do um, now that's why we believe in counseling in the context of a church, mm-hmm. because that's why we say our first goal there would be counseling separation for the purpose of repentance right. and reconciliation. And when you're in the context of a healthy church, that's where elders and pastors step in and come and. Uh, call that person to repentance, and we work out a plan with the hopes of one day, one day because of the gospel, this being restored fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there are times when, um, more than not, where this person decides that they're going to walk away from the faith and not repent. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, we follow what Paul says in uh, Corinthians, where he says that, you know, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, we let them go. Mm-hmm. Even if they maybe physically don't want to leave the house, if they're unrepentant and and dug their heels in, and it's a dangerous situation. We're not gonna, we're not gonna put that back together, right? And know? I think it's important yeah. too to draw the distinction that the first <clears throat> step is repentance. You know, yeah. another form of abuse that we see often in the church is spiritual abuse, mm-hmm. which makes God the oppressor. Because now I'm going to use Scripture to twist and manipulate you into mm-hmm. doing what I want you to do. Wait, that's what mm-hmm. Satan did when he tried to tempt Jesus. Yeah. Watch out! Hold on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're saying it's in the book. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah, dangerous. Yeah. But the hope yeah. would be, it's the first session, it's not like we're going to walk in and be like, oh, this is destructive. You guys should separate, right? right the right. goal is always repentance. And that is the mm-hmm. distinction. That's where separation comes in is, okay, now you've been confronted with the truth because there's people out here who, you know, maybe they grew up in an environment where they thought this is how you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And they've never seen, and they don't understand that what mm-hmm. they're doing is actually right. destructive and abusive towards their spouse. That person is going to respond by saying, wow, I'm heartbroken that I've perpetrated this right. against this person I love. And I'm going to be drawn to repentance. But in those situations, then it creates an environment where there can be reconciliation, there can be healing. Yeah, we're going to rejoice in that repentance, Yes, absolutely. No shame in that. The separation comes in when there is systematic. Instead of repentance, what Mm. you see is chronic rationalization, blame shifting, justifying, um, what's called gaslighting, which is basically like denying that you've done anything wrong and making the other person feel like they're crazy, right? Mm. So when you see that as the chronic pattern, then that's where the separation comes in. And again, it's for the purpose of reconciliation to say, hey, you have actually broken this covenant. This covenant, not the contract, but the covenant that we entered into is that your role as biblical headship is supposed to look this way. And now you're choosing your sin over that. And at some point, 
there cannot just be mm-hmm. um, a lack of responsibility for that habitual sin. Mm-hmm. And so the separation is intended to bring the sin to the forefront so that repentance can take place right. and that the trust can eventually be repaired. And restored, yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And this, uh, is, uh, this is, just let me say one thing yeah. real quick. This is so informational. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning right now. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah. Can um, we get a success story? Well, you finish I want to say one more thing, and then yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll give you the success story. Let's get that story. success story. Um, and to break this down in, in very like layman's terms, when we talk about the idol of power, the basis of all sin is pride. Mm-hmm. And what's happening there is someone is digging in and, and seeing themselves as more more important than God, right, more, right than God. more right than God. And listen, every situation can be restored when one humbly repents mm-hmm. and realizes they're not God and that God is right yeah. and, and asks for forgiveness and, and pursues that. And, and no matter how hard the situation is, it can be restored. And I've seen that leading into mm-hmm. success stories. I'll yeah. use one from my time back in Kentucky. That way anyone that I've helped here is not like, you're talking about us and right. not talking about you. Using one from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and by Kentucky, he means uh, Florida or Georgia, <laughs> <laughs> some random state. Right, random state. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, I still won't use names, so don't right. worry. But in this this situation, uh, we had a situation where um, there was uh, addiction involved, and a lot of um, dangers in terms of neglect. This this spouse. Um, would do things like pass out while the children are at home when one spouse is gone, you know, things of that nature to where it was, it was dangerous. Um, and at first wasn't, you know, that whole blame shifting and denial as addicts do too, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that I mean, it was one time or, you know, there's always an excuse. I was only blacked out for four hours. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. You know, that kids are two years old. They can take care of themselves. Um, <laughs> And they, they came to me, and it was just, I mean, it had been going on for years. I mean, this was entrenched, and and, um, uh, and they had never heard of biblical counseling and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of one of those last resorts, like, we'll try this this crazy thing called biblical counseling. Because they'd, <laughs> they'd went to many other counselors and rehabs and everything else. And over a year of walking through, confronting, digging out heart issues, digging out pride, um, working together with and we put some separation and boundaries and early on, uh, like we talked about, for the purpose of reconciliation and trust rebuilding. We did all of those things. And after a year, um, not only were they restored, but they became leaders in the church. And, wow. and right now you would never know that they ever went through anything. Praise God. And, it's, and they're still doing great today, like serving in the church, loving God. I just, just talked to them recently and still doing awesome. Wow. Um, just seeing a real heart transformation because of the gospel. And then saw a marriage fully restored. And it wasn't without work. It was a year. My wife got involved with the wife and discipled and counseled and walked through the Word of God consistently. And it was messy at first. I mean, there was mess ups. It wasn't like we started counseling and everything started to get fixed. There was things that happened while we were counseling still. Um, but it was it was awesome to watch the faithfulness of the Lord restore an individual's heart and then a family. And praise yeah. God. I'll just share awesome. a quick one. Yeah. Um, mine's a little bit different and um, I won't give times, locations or names either. But <laughs> um, but I think I'm so, um, I can be a, obviously a, just a, a testimony myself of growing to a place of being grateful for your trials because mm-hmm. had I not um, had some of the experiences that I had, I think I wouldn't have leaned into scripture to try to really understand these issues. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up in the church and so I, Um, bought into a lot of the narrative that we hear in the church a lot. And so when I began to study and learn about this more and and receive further training, um, I think was so grateful for the grace that God does give us for living in this world that is not his ideal because of sin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, had a female client who just came in so discouraged and so depressed because she felt like the message she had received from the church forever was it doesn't really matter. Um, if he's not beating you, then you've got no options. Wow. Um, and so for years and years had been um, just feeling so trapped. Um, there there was some addiction issues there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, neglect, abandonment, just not checked into the relationship. And so when we walked through um, being able to define her relationship as abusive, because it was, it was very mm-hmm. clearly abusive, 
um, that God made allowances for that and that God held her husband accountable to repentance for Mm -hmm. the ways that he had abandoned their marriage and been abusive towards her, um, the hope instilled in her was, was massive. Um, it was like the, you know, kind of the, the, um, What's it called? What's the past scripture where you take the blinders off? Um, oh, where, sorry, but essentially just her eyes were open to, um, I guess when you're trapped in those hopeless situations, you don't, you're not even able to see beyond it. Mm-hmm. And so when God mm-hmm. did that work of removing the blinders and all of a sudden she became so free to follow God in obedience in every other area of her life mm-hmm. that I don't have to be consumed by this place where I'm stuck in all of my energy and all of my prayers and all of, you know, everything in my life revolves around um, trying to survive mm-hmm. being in this situation that was just so destructive to her life and that when the hope was instilled that um, God could restore her and that there was accountability for the sin, um, so much hope was restored and, um, mm-hmm. and you know, ultimately God was glorified even though that's a story of a marriage that wasn't restored. Man, removing hopelessness and replacing it with hope. That's what the Lord does. And that's what we aim to do at the Nehemiah Project. This has been such a great podcast. I've learned Mm -hmm. so much. I know our listeners have certainly learned a lot. We know that uh, marriage is not easy. We know that it's not a contract. It's a covenant. It's an unconditional promise to be faithful to one another. We know that it's relegated by the text of Scripture. We Mm -hmm. know that Jesus himself is the perfect picture of a perfect marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is our ultimate aim. And that is our ultimate goal. Uh, it was so good talking to you guys, and uh, I'm gra- I'm glad that we got to uh, learn. Mm. That was fun. Yeah. Do this yeah. again sometime. Yeah, we will. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. You, we'll see you guys at home next time. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.